I don't want a pickle I just want to ride on my motorcycle Hello everybody and welcome. This is the Nokomoto Podcast. Let's see, this is podcast release number 161, but it is episode 5, season 2. Because, well, we measure all time before and after mid-Ohio now. So, we are coming to you from northern Colorado, where we had another one of our 300 days of sunshine that we get every year. And we are at Nokomoto Podcast Network Studios, which is also Moto One Podcast Network Studios, recording suite A. So I haven't seen the president for about a week or any of our interns because they saw the video of me doing a naked burnout at Mid-Ohio. And everyone's been kind of avoiding eye contact with me (laughs) ever since. But I'm taking it in stride. I think it's because they're just so impressed. You know, much like when Uncle Phil and Oscar had the opportunity to ask um, uh, Michael Dunlop a question at the Isle of Man and realize they had nothing meaningful to bring to the table. That's how I feel everyone's treating me. Fair. (laughs) So let's see here. What are we going to talk about on this episode? We... We're going to finally do a roundup of the bike releases that have happened this year that we've either only mentioned briefly or haven't mentioned at all. Because, well, the last two years have been odd and everything has been disrupted. And the normal way that bikes have been released has been disrupted, hasn't it? A little bit, yeah. A lot of a lot of releases that should have gotten a lot of fanfare or sparked a lot more debates or wild conjecture just really haven't. We've been kind of I don't know, distracted by so many other things. So I think it's time to to do an episode where we really wrap up what has 2021 brought us in new bikes. Cause I I don't know where this is gonna go, but because we simply have not done the analysis yet. We don't know what we don't know. So there's that. Then MotoGP was back this week. So I think we should do a little talk about that at the very end of the episode. And I think we should probably start with best worst bike in the world this week. Let's do it. And special note, we're probably not going to do emails this week, but there are a couple emails that people sent reminders like, hey, you didn't read this one. We'll get to it all eventually. It's... There's been a lot going on in especially my life very recently. So sorry this episode's coming out late. I don't know if next week's going to be on schedule either. It could be. We'll we'll see what happens. You're you're still going to have roughly an episode per week. So just, you know, deal with it. Okay. So are we ready to do best worst bike in the world this week? Yeah, let's go. Okay. After, what, th- almost three weeks of no regularly scheduled normal format best worst bike in the world this week. Here it is, what the people want. A good old-fashioned best worst bike in the world this week. Not of an event, not from a show, not for a thing, just in the whole world. Now, if you're a new listener because you heard about our shenanigans and decided to stop by and see what all this foolishness is about, here's how this segment goes. Each week, me and Swiggy each pick 
a different bike. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. One of them is going to be the best bike in the world this week, and one of them is going to be the worst. We alternate who has which each week. Now, in the past, we've we've made questionable decisions, but we stand by it and we back it up. And if you want to come at us, well, you can try, but you're probably going to get shut down because even if we're wrong, we're better at this than you are. So just remember, well, there's just no crying in motorcycles, but go ahead anyway and send a constructive, thoughtfully worded email to contact at nokamotopodcast.com and we'll see if we can get to a place of peace. So Swigs, you have worst bike in the world this week yes all right are you ready to reveal it i am all right and season five's first worst bike in the world this week is the ducati scrambler desert sled oh the most expensive scrambler that doesn't scramble yes okay so what was it, 2018, 2019? I want to say this was a this was a 2018 Ikema like reveal, but I could be wrong there. Yeah. So you know, it was what early early two early 2010s, Ducati comes out with the Scrambler as their cheapest option, and it crushes. Everyone loves it. It's a little bit of a hipster bike. It's a little bit cafe racer. It's old school, but it's a nice, new, reliable motor. It's great for street riding. Everyone falls in love with it. It's affordable for new, young riders. It's got a little bit of charm for older riders as well. Massive success, both in terms of branding and financially for heart, for, for Ducati. Fantastic. Oh, it saved the company like all over again. Yeah. I mean, it probably stopped them threatening to sell out to Audi like three times. Wait, aren't they actually owned by Audi? No, it's Volkswagen. Well, Volkswagen yeah. owns Audi. Hold on. It, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it definitely stopped them from threatening bankruptcy or selling themselves off again like a couple times. Not that it really stopped them getting into trouble, but that's yeah. that's for that's a different discussion for a different anyway, day. So at this time, you've also got Triumph, who brought out their own scrambler. And every everyone started trading back and forth, which ultimately culminated in the, the Triumph Scrambler 1200 which was a ridiculous excess that nobody actually wanted to buy, but everybody wanted to gush over. Everyone wanted to talk about it, nobody wanted to buy it. Yeah, it's huge bragging rights, but only extremely rich people bought it, yeah. Now, the Desert Sled was kind of the competitor to... At the time, it was the thing being held up and you know getting hype at the same time as the Scrambler 1200. Yeah, they'll be remembered as having a head-to-head battle. Only in magazines, but yes. Right. Except that this is not an oversized motor. This isn't a rich is it this is not really a rich man's toy. This is the exact same 800cc motor as the Scrambler Icon. Oh, I thought this was a a, a 1200 motor. Nope. No. Oh. 
It is all styling. So, also, secondly, they put all this money and all this R&D into making these bikes, and then they come out with Joyvolution as a hashtag. And that's like still on the marketing today for this bike. What the fuck? This is a bike that was marketed. This was this the marketing for this bike was all social media and hype. And that's what they come up with. It's it's a little fellow kids here. Like I uh so really if you look at a at a scrambler icon, the uh, starting point, the starting price is ninety seven hundred. Considering you're not getting any additional features, you're just getting you know your big front fender. You're getting a different tank with some different decals on it, a different seat, and some different pipes. And really, that's it. You are paying. Where is it? Uh, not on this page. Well, you get wire it's 12, wheels. So you it's, get... it's twelve thousand dollars. Well, that's a lot cheaper than the twelve hundred scrambler, but yeah, it is. That's also the very top end of Ducati scramblers. But you're paying essentially twenty three hundred dollars extra for this styling. Which in and of itself is not super egregious. I mean, it's a little cheeky, but then again, it is a Ducati. But you, but the people who were real who bought this early on, are people who would have bought it off the hype, the hype and the charm and the street cred that immediately evaporated the second this went on the market. Nobody. I don't think anyone besides us has talked about the Desert Sled since the release of the Desert Sled. Yeah, what Ducati really should have made was an 800 Multistrada. That would have been pretty dope. I don't know if this motor is really good for that. Just a just a more affordable Multistrada. It, well, who cares if it was this motor? It could be the Multistrada motor shrunk down. That's fine. I mean, I know the whole point of the Multistrada is to be more GS than a GS. It's supposed to be the ultimate adventure bike, even if it's not for practicality. It's just to be the most feature-rich, ridiculous rich man's. You know, because Ducati can't put out a cruiser that's the most luxurious, feature-rich cruiser because no one considers them having credit in that. But in this adventure bike market, they were able to say, well, we've had one for like 15, 20 years already. So this is a space we already occupy. Let's just make the luxury liner of this. Let's make the Harley Davidson Electric Glide CVO of adventure bikes. And that's right. what the Multistrada is. So I get why they didn't. But a baby Strata still would have been pretty fun. I think it would have been cool. But I don't know who would have really gone for it. In any case, well, just looking at this page for the Desert Sled, like the actual, if you go to like scramblerducati.com, it's called the Desert Sled. And they 
they take a picture of it in a forest. Yeah, on a paved road. <laughs> yeah. What's that all about? I couldn't tell you. Um, in any case. Why does the desert sled not have scoop tires? Why has it got weird 50-50s on it? Like well, I mean, that Pirelli's is kind of... best job at imitating TKC-80s? Well, I mean, this that is actually the kind of tires you would have on a desert sled. The desert, I mean, nobody really cares except for the hipster who wants out hipster everybody else by getting a desert sled, which is also the whole reason the marketing worked is everybody was one-upping each other on hipster cred, is that this is essentially just a scrambler for, like, dusty desert roads. It's not really a scrambler. It's not even a real scrambler in terms of the styling. It's this niche thing that exists like out in Utah and California and Nevada. Like it's it's just this thing from an era and the styling is based around that and that's all that's being tacked on here cosmetically. But do you think if you just pulled up a if you showed somebody a picture of this of this not removing any any element of it how many people do you think you know reasonably fluent motorcycle people would be able to recognize this as a desert sled like if you just showed this this picture could you get the words desert sled out of them unprompted no, no one fucking remembers the desert sled for starters like you said even though it was a couple years ago and I, I okay. I just had a thought. Tell me what you think about this. Is the Ducati Scrambler desert sled the signal of the end of these genre bikes? Because for like 2016, 2015, leading up to this, everything was a cafe or a bobber or a tracker. Well, I'll tell or, you I'll tell you or what. whatever. And and the thing is is that fads and trends and everything move too fast for production to keep up with. Once you notice a subculture coming back or a certain style of bike, you're three getting months some from traction, release and you've already You're six, eight months from release at minimum, even if all you're doing is changing body panels. You can't, and by you the can't time you put directions, it out, yeah. exactly. By the time you get it out, the fad's over. Things move so quickly. Is the desert sled the end of that? I'm gonna say yes. Because because I, I think the correction we're gonna, well, we already have gonna, the correction from we already have the the manufacturer correction. Which was the um, the uh, scrambler, uh, the street scrambler? Oh right, yeah. Or the scrambler street, whatever the what fuck it, that stupid yeah. bike is called. Anyway, the point is that Bonneville with that that's that uh, it's basically a Bonneville. It's a Bonneville with high pipes. Well, yeah. Well, basically. Triumph just went through their own parts catalog and just reconfigured it, a standard Bonneville, in just this certain way and went, oh, this is how like some people on staff think a Bonneville looks cool right now. Let's just give it a weird name. Yeah, so the, the, the Scrambler Street came out, and which was now like 
getting away from going as the most authentic, the most hardcore hipster scrambler bike. They toned it down and everybody loved it. Right. But right now, I think what we're going to discover here, this is my little hypothesis here, is we're going to go and examine all these bikes that have been released this year or announced for release next year. We're going to see a much more, a big move to the middle, to the ordinary, to the non-specialized motorcycles, I think. Just just simple bikes with broad appeal. Mm-hmm. Rather than, oh, this is the most legitimate cafe of the cafeist and the, the you know, the adventure of the adventurist and, and all that, right? Mm-hmm. That I think that's what's going to kind of the picture that shall emerge. And, and it is maybe this the bike that signaled the very end of these hyper fetishy specialized genre bikes. I think it was. Well, I think this in tandem with the Scrambler 1200. Okay, I can go for that. Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. There we go. All right. Ducati, you know, I haven't said this for all. So Ducati, Scrambler, Desert Sled, worst bike in the world this week, but still better than a car. So are we ready for best bike in the world this week? We are. And the best bike in the world this week is... The Kimco People 150. So this, so Kimco is a rather darling little Korean scooter company. They're Korean, right? Or are they Chinese? I think it's Korean. Pretty sure it's Korean. Anyway. I want to say South Korean, but. uh... Yeah. Anyway, it's a little scooter company. No, Taiwanese. Oh, okay. Taiwanese. Oh, that makes sense too. Okay. Taiwanese scooter company. Known for exceptionally high quality for being made in that region. Uh, Something in the back of my mind tells me they make a bunch of like, they have like facility, they kind of like co-own facilities that make stuff for Honda and things like that. But anyway, um, really nice scooter company. They don't make super flashy or high tech stuff, but they kind of crank out pretty, pretty high end for scooter stuff. And kind of the flagship model is called the Kimco People, which is a bizarre name. And I can't fathom a reason why they didn't change it for the Americans, but they didn't. It's called the People. And it's an uncomfortable, awkward name. And it's an uncomfortable, awkward-looking scooter. But it is comfortable to ride. And whilst it is awkwardness, the reason it looks awkward as a scooter is precisely why it's so fucking brilliant. So, first of all, it's a 150cc scooter, which is amazing and really cool because it's actually 152 cc's, so it's underselling itself. This is a move that always gets top marks with me. Rather than rounding up, it rounds down. This is a fast scooter. This has 13 and a half horsepower with almost 10 foot-pounds of torque. So this has got almost all the off-the-line oomph of our Vespas with a few more horsepower right on the top end. So this is a true 65-mile-an-hour scooter. 
So, <clears throat> well, I'll let you finish your your spiel, but I've got two experiences with Kimco 150s, people okay. 150s. So, what I love about the scooter is it's um it's it's un it's unbelievable value so it's uh it's at le- it's almost like i want to say like $400 cheaper than the equivalent honda like the pcx 150 so think of it in in that range or the adv 150 it's got dual rear shocks which is going to come into play later and very important this has true forks up front so a lot of scooters if they've got like an old school leading link system or whatever they might have like one like half fork right you know there's a steering stem that comes around it's like a like almost like a single-sided swing arm at the front almost kind of configuration if you shall or it'll be forks but like one one actual cylinder right this is this is two real forks up front with you know triple tree steering column all of that and the big party trick that the Kimco people brings is a 16 inch front tire and 14 in the back that's the wheel size of a Suzuki Bergman right the, these are big tires so when you see a Kimco people it's very striking, and you've probably seen one. These are more popular than you think. And you think to yourself, like, that scooter's got big wheels. And it does have big wheels because it's amazing compared to other scooters over things like potholes, gravel, and that kind of stuff. Well, also, this is um, this is the scoot. This is kind of the go-to. This is essentially like the Honda Civic of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's you know it's cheap and it's affordable, but it's not it's not like buying a Trabant. It's a real it's real viable tra- transportation for the masses. It's also, I believe, the new one is yeah, it's fuel injection. You know, it's it's an overhead cam engine. It's ABS standard for that $3,300 price tag. So we're talking like $500 more for only like something like five. Well, what's a Metropolitan going for? Like $2,200? I want to say say $22 for non-ABS. Maybe $24, $25 for ABS. So like $800 more than a Honda Metropolitan, something like that. Uh, okay, so Metropolitan is twenty five hundred now, right? Yeah, yeah. So eight for eight hundred dollars more than a Metropolitan, you're getting fuel injection. You are getting, you know, you've got the ABS. You're getting thirteen and a half horsepower over the four point nine, right? Like you think, oh, like well, a Grom is fun and makes enough horsepower. Yeah, but this is thirty three percent more horsepower again. And the and 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 some some torque to match. This is uh, this will get up and go a lot more than you really think. And uh, the Metropolitan doesn't have ABS, so it doesn't even have an option for it. Cool. Well, I mean, not cool, but all right. Well, I get. I mean, it's so budget. Why would it would be a waste on that thing? Yeah. So yeah, you're getting ABS. You're getting fuel injection. You're getting 
uh, a big aftermarket parts catalog, lots of customization options, easy to get parts, right? A lot more dealers and service places than you would might think at first, right? Any respect, if I mean, I don't even want to deal with um, scooter shops that don't deal in Kimco, right? It, you're just fucking insane if you don't. Um, so I got two stories for this thing. Okay. One, uh, both of them were for my previous job and people um, just around work. So one of them was just a guy who I think was working on a sales on the sales floor and just didn't have a car at this point. And it was this middle-aged guy, and he liked riding it around, but it was an old one. It was like an early, it was like a mid-2000s one. Did not give a shit about it. Rode it into work every day, dropped it a couple times, didn't give a fuck. Went through a hailstorm, which uh, back, I think this was, oh, this would have been like, 2017 2018 when we had when denver had the uh the hailstorm that did like a billion dollars worth of damage oh yeah and like every after 2016 because it put dents in my car which is a 2016 yeah and um when that happened it the seat survived nobody's like sedan the seat's got enough give to it yeah right and nobody's nobody's um, windscreen survived, um, and his like cri- chipped and cracked around the top, and he gave so little of a shit about it that he literally just grabbed it around where the plastic windscreen had snapped, and just ripped it off completely. It was four Allen bolts to get the windscreen off. Didn't give a fuck. Came back the next day. The sm- the the ripped up windscreen still on the bike. Nice. Didn't care. Second person was it was in Rhino actually. Um, there's this lady who has like this weird sort of like flatbread sandwich like lunch stand, and she has the aftermarket uh, tow hitch adapter what for her for her people what a hero okay and she pull and she's got a little trailer like hot dog stand style salad bar that she pulls with her kimco oh my god i didn't know this particular part existed i should have okay so that leads me directly into my next thing about the kimco people and really I think the Kim now there's all these reasons I just laid out how much you're getting, what an exceptional value. Plus, you know, these things are fucking bulletproof because they've been selling this bike almost unchanged, except for adding ABS, a couple styling things and making it fuel injected. They've been making this bike since like the early 2000s. And they're they're As far as I can tell, every single one of them ever produced is still running. As far as I can <laughs> tell, a quick look at Facebook or Craigslist will reveal tons of these things for sale for like $1,100 to $1,600, right? Yeah. So they're not a bad investment either because you're always going to retain somewhere around 40% of value. Well, again, if you live in a city like Denver, like 
a running motorcycle is minimum like $1,200. Right. So there you go. Now, I think it's now my, my big reason for this being best bike in the world this week is those forks and is that front wheel. I think if you look at this bike, if you look at the footwell and you look at the geometry and you look at the high handlebars and the low foot position and how much room you have to stand up straight on it and those huge wheels, I think this gives the Honda ADV 150 a run for its money stock like it is as an adventure scooter. But wait, there's more. Kimco has released a bike, and you should bring up a picture of this, called the Super 8 150, which is basically this bike with some adventure styling that they say gives it a dirt bike appearance, though I don't really see it. And somehow they've put like a chunk, they've put chunky 50-50 tires on it that are wider than this, for sure, that's going to get a lot of grip, but... I still think the bigger front tire is going to be better. But this is the same scooter. This is the same suspension, the same frame, the same motor, just done out to be a little more adventure aggressive-y, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like this, it's cheaper. It's cheaper than the 150 somehow. I, I think this thing's like $2,800. Uh, so it's it's the 150X. I, no, it's $2,300. Now, it doesn't have uh, the same headlight. It, it's, it's clearly got some cheaper option things built into it. But look at it. It's a People 150 just stripped down, right? Right. So there's your proof. Like the Kimco people, if you buy a used one, This is your ADV scooter. This is the best ADV scooter on the market for the money, at least, is a used Kimco People 150. I think I need one to put some some uh, some dirt tires on for. And I think that's my mid-Ohio vehicle next year. Well, given what you did to the Vespa you may just want to like fill the tires with foam. (laughs) (laughs) Just take the tubes out, get a trash set of tires and fill them full of foam and just go for it. Well, I want, I want something that I don't care about, but yeah, I, Oh, if we could get a Kimco and put a little trailer hitch on it to pull something around, that's, mm, I didn't see anyone barrel racing with a trailer. Yeah, we could do. We could rig up a way to pull the beaver tail with two Kimco peoples. Yeah. Chariot style. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, so uh, so this Super 8 150X was almost my choice for best bike in the world this week, but it doesn't have all of the city practicality of just the regular people. I kind of look at this as like a weird budget version of the people because i also don't believe that that smaller front tire is going to be as good as just having the 16 inch front tire well if the 16 inch tire survives but yeah if i was going to take one of these off a jump i think i'd just take the standard people yeah 
Well, because that's as you pointed out, like the guy that didn't care about his, one of the greatest things about the Kimco people is it's in no way special whatsoever. Yeah. You have complete <laughs> license to fuck it up. Unless it's your sole it... transportation, there's absolutely nothing special about it. Exactly. So it's a great little bad ideas machine. I think I think a, a, a 2009 Kimco people is the vehicle that everyone was hoping the Grom would be. They just haven't realized it yet. Right. Because it's more power, it's more stupidity, it's it's weirdly has more features, it's more practical as day-to-day transportation, and I think it has a, potentially a lot more off-road capability. I think it's the I think the Kimco people is I'm making a strong argument, I think, that it's the best bad ideas machine on the market right now is this like the fine the equivalent financial decision to the uh the eight dollar walmart inflatable mattress yeah 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna explain that to the people because i think this is one of the best way because i've never said this to someone and not had them immediately get on board right so there's 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 a way that you can divide people into people that think air mattresses are a great idea. And then people who are like, Oh, I tried that air mattresses are not a great idea. Right. And so people get air math, see, get, get into their head. Like, Oh, I need an air mattress. Cause these people are coming over. They're going to stay for a week or whatever. I don't have a guest room. <gasps> I know I'll get an air mattress. Right. So they get an air mattress. And then after two days, the air mattress pops. And then what a lot of people will do is go, fuck it. I'm going to spend $200 on this air mattress. I know it sucks, but I need to save face for my guests. And at least I know this one will be good forever for the next time I have guests. Right? I'm just going to head off this problem of the past. Of course it's not. Of course. Because the $200 air mattress pops after like 10 nights. And then it's done. And if you're camping, just cut all these numbers in half. So what if someone told you, though, well, here's an air mattress that's only $10 or $9 or whatever it is, and it's a little bit faulty, but guess what? It also has – here's a cheap air mattress, and it has a replacement plan, which can be conveniently fulfilled at any location – any city of more than 10,000 people – in all of you know the United States at 24 hours a day pretty much for only $10. You go, well, that makes a lot of sense. I can go through 20 air mattresses and at, uh, let's say, 7.5 uses each, like, holy shit, that's a lot more than the $200 air mattress. So this is why you have to buy the $10 twin-size air mattress from Walmart, and that is the only air mattress to buy ever. Just know you're only going to get two or three uses out of it, but it's $3 a night to sleep on it. That's it. Yeah. Well, that's why I have two. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So – yeah, yeah, you're right. So the Kimco people, you can pick one up for twelve hundred bucks, and if it's going to run yeah. perfectly. But if you trash it, who gives a shit? 
you're only out 1200 bucks and you've probably had a lot more than $1,200 of fun with it in the meantime. Yeah. You're not heartbroken if the motor on this seizes or if you bend the forks or if you drop it and who knows, you know, whatever way you, you choose to fuck it up. It you're, you're not hot. You're not heartbroken over it, but on top of all of that, it's a good scooter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 10 foot-pounds of torque in that, you know, in that small displacement scooter category is kind of just what you need. Yeah, I, it's like what a Buddy has, and we were really impressed by even just the Buddy 125. And its off-road capabilities. Yeah, I, <laughs> the Buddy 125 really fucking moves. I, I can't imagine what the 170 does. I mean, yeah, I was I was a little drunk, so I was like, whoa, <laughs> as I took it off. And then I kept, I was like, I'd been so used to riding the best ball weekend, I kept pulling the rear brake like it was the clutch. Every <laughs> time as I was slowing, I was like, ooh, and the back would go, start getting all squirrely on me. <laughs> but but yeah, uh, so there we go. I, don't, I think I make a compelling argument. If you want something that if, – if you decide that you want to you know, star in your own little episode of Jackass, this is the vehicle for you on top of being a great scooter. So, All right. Do you want to take a break or just jump into these bike releases? Uh, let's take a quick break. All right. Let's do the thing. Okay, here we are. We've got our Michelob Ultras cracked open, and we are ready to finally, because I, we pretty much haven't done a specific bike review or, you know, whatever this this year. Let's round it up. Let's do the 2021-2022 new bike roundup, because I don't think we're going to get much more before the end of the year now. This is the time to do it. All right, Swigs throw some models at us well let's round up the familiar stuff we've talked about so far so let's start with the the honda rebel 1100 okay we have talked about this some and i think i kind of have my mind made up about this a little bit having uh, rode rebel uh the smaller rebels and having experienced this motor in other forms You know, I, at first I was thinking this was going to be a power cruiser, maybe a return of the power cruiser, but that's not really the point of this bike. I mean, it's powerful from the perspective of air-cooled Harleys, but it's not a powerful bike. It's only, I think it's only like 86 horsepower. Yeah, but it's big torque too, but it's... Um, it, it's okay torque. I mean, the main thing is it's it's more it's more horsepower than the average cruiser, but it's still it is, mo- it's not an imitation cruiser. It is very solidly and clearly, like transparently, a metric cruiser, in the vein of the Vulcan S. Well, but I it's think- a full size bike that has the power. Okay, I, I like that you mentioned the Vulcan S because it is a little bit of a step up from the Vulcan S. I loved the Vulcan S when it came out. I still love the Vulcan S. I think it's an amazing 
mid-range option for someone that wants a cruiser style bike that's you know of an age where Harley and classic styling isn't the be all and end all of your world, which is an increasingly large number of riders. It's a huge portion of female riders. And guess what? Female riders, it turns out, like I've been I've been kind of asking around, doing some questioning, like looking things up, reading reports. Female riders like kind of like to buy a new bike. They tend to have great credit scores. They tend to actually take the uh, the MSF course and get like 10% or 5% off of purchase of a bike or something that they buy from the dealership where they took the test or whatever. And they don't need crazy power, but they want something that speaks to them. And like the Rebel 300 is the ultimate beginner bike, I think the Rebel 1100 is poised to be what seasoned bike people are never expecting to see the ultimate mid-level entry point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the reasons this bike is getting no love is because it's designed for someone to put eyes on it. Who's kind of never seriously looked at a bike before. And they don't have any baggage. Exactly. It makes sense through that prism. If you go forget everything you know about motorcycles, you've just passed the MSF. You're like, ah, eh, a three or five hundred is not for me. But well, hold on, I could come in at the mid level of the market. Hey, it's over one liter. Like, all right, and and then it also does this another amazing trick where I think it's going to lure some people away from the Harley 883, from the Harley 1200. Because on paper, it just kicks the shit out of a 1200 Sportster up and down the streets, like all day, every day. Yeah. And as you said, there's no baggage. So the fact that, you know, and and we love them, we love those guys, but the fact that Cleveland Moto hates this bike is a very good sign. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. old people should hate it right that's exactly the reason why it's cool to new riders there you go do you have anything else on that or well speaking of cleveland moto let's talk about the trail 125 Mm. so we both rode the most premium possible version of this at mid-ohio I took it down some single track, and you rode it around a lot longer. I, uh, I probably got a good 45 minutes just riding it around. I was accosted and molested several times, but... Yeah, what, what, what did you... So the Trail 125, I, uh, so this is the... This is basically the Grom platform's latest flavor. It's closer, it's closer to the Super Cub with the transmission. That's true. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. Well, like the old CT was a flavor of the Super Cub. This is a flavor of the new Super Cub. It's aimed at a little bit more utilitarian and off-road usage. I still think the best way to describe this bike is the coolest thing you can show up to at Ace Hardware or Canadian Tire. I agree. But the form factor of it is incredibly practical. Yes. 
just having the big rack on it, having just all the exposed frame, you can just strap whatever you want onto it. Hey, it was Phil. What? Well, when you fucked up the Vespa in the middle of the woods, yeah, it was it was Phil who came up with the ratchet strap. That what was great? So he had, he had that little short red ratchet strap that was like just completely camouflaged around the rear rack on yeah. on the trail one two five, and he just pulls it off. The I was like, oh, we do have a ratchet strap. We can get out of here. Yeah, yeah. He kind of <laughs> yeah. It came to the rescue. <laughs> I'm never going to talk shit about it. I I think it's a really cool looking bike. Uh, I I think it's probably an okay value for money. It well, was very pleasant to ride. It, it the 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 gears were a little clunky, but that's fine. You kind of want a clunky mechanical feel with a thing like that. It kind of makes it a little more fun to operate. Well, I mean, it's been a long time since. Well, I guess I mean, you've, well, besides the Goldwing, like I mean, Honda transmissions are just kind of clunky yeah kawasaki i think makes the best ones but you're right yeah yeah and yamahas are always like imperceptible it's like did i change gear right like (laughs) every kawasaki gearbox i've always just loved the feel of the gear change just oh there it is that's the right amount of click that's the right amount of throw on the thing there well it's like on every kawasaki you always know exactly where you pass through neutral yeah you all you always feel neutral yeah there's there's some sort of magic about the shift stars and the detent arms on kawasaki's it's true yeah nobody ever like clicks up from first and accidentally stops in neutral on a kawasaki it just doesn't happen because i don't think i've ever done it the feedback is so nice but anyway so but then the opposite is on a guzzi or an aprilia I, the I first thought, time you get one, you spend about ten minutes trying to figure out where the fuck neutral is. Right. So on the on the the Hunter Cub or the Trail One Two Five, what what is the real name for it? Because it keeps it seems to be going by both. Trail One Two Five is, I think, the I most thought it generic was, term I've seen. Okay, I thought they were going to call it the Hunter Cub for some reason. There's definitely been material out that's called they've. CT125, Trail125, Hunter Cub. I don't fucking care. It's the the yeah, 125. Yeah, the old ones had 8 billion names too, so who cares? Yeah, yeah it's okay. whatever. So uh, my feelings were, I thought the uh, as much as the, the gear lever was a little bit like, okay, whatever, I, that's splitting hairs. It's fine. You'll get used to it if you own one. You'll be okay with it. But I thought the gearing was a pretty good compromise because I rode, I rode it through some of that single track race course. And I kind of threw it around a little bit. I never crashed it. Um, I got the back tire sliding out pretty good. The only thing that made me feel weird, though, riding it off-road was to kind of ride it a little bit aggressively. I I kept standing up, and I'm like, oh, I can't grip it. I can't grip it with my knees or anything. I think totally legit in saying that that's not how the bike is meant to be ridden. It's meant He's to He's absolutely right. Yeah, you waddle. When you get into a muddy patch, you put your feet down on the ground and you put it in low gear and you just go for it. You just you just power, you just very slowly power up any hill or whatever you're going to do with your feet balancing you. Yeah, it's meant to go through anything yeah. very slowly. It essentially transitions from, you know, street scooter to like, dirt mobility scooter 
Yeah, I, I guess I was kind of expecting to be able to throw it around kind of like a pit bike or something, and it doesn't behave that way. It's really not what it is. Yeah. It's not at all. It, 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 The way you position yourself on it, the way you give it power, the way you change gears, it's all a completely different feeling. Well, in a lot of ways, that's sort of what the 2 by 2 was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah, well again with the two by two, I would have I would I wouldn't have been standing up much or anything. I would have been expecting to just put a lot of faith in the two wheel drive system. Mm. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it too. I, I I think I'd still rather have a super cub, but I would definitely rather have the trail one two five than a Grom. The only thing I and will say I, is and, and the trail one two five I'll have a hundred times over the monkey bike. Absolutely. And again, I like I like the Trail One Two Five, and I will buy it at actual MSRP. Well, I would buy it at actual MSRP, but I'd sell it for two hundred dollars more no, if you could find one. I have no, I I don't love it enough to track one down, or to get in with a dealer to to say next next uh, Trail One Two Five has my name on it. I'm not, but if I you stumbled across one, you might. You might pull the trigger. Okay. That's where I am at with it. All right. Okay. What what do we got next? Uh, Let's talk about the Internet Explorer of naked bikes. The uh, Suzuki GSX-S1000. This is another one that we did actually talk about. But again... I think everything that we said about it, we'll review here really quickly and then reiterate like it, it's completely justified. The the one of the latest sort of crazes is, you know, the naked motorcycle, right? Just an unfaired compromised sport bike. And in the, the vein of the Super Duke or the uh, you name it unfaired or half fared or semi fared what i love about this bike is that essentially the bodywork is like a straight ripoff of the super duke oh absolutely yeah it's even got like the um the little radiator shroud things on it and all yeah it's it's the cheapest super duke is what it is i mean it's it's got something going for it in that it's a super duke without the vagina headlight but I mean, it's kind of like a vagina with like two. I, <laughs> you know, rather than being being a vagina, it's kind of just like a full on crack shot. So like the is, upper yeah. headlight is is the is the pussy, and then the lower headlight's the asshole. It's just a straight up skirt, like you know. There you go. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but, so, but again, why is Suzuki releasing this bike at the very end of the craze? They're just late to the party. I think three years ago, this bike's a hit. Like, think, oh, Suzuki put out a Super Duke that's better and cheaper than a Super Duke. Hooray. I think there's one very cool thing about this bike in that it's a reasonably affordable leader bike, uh, naked in this modern styling with an inline four 
And the only other bike that does that that you have to pay a premium for is either a Z... Well, there's the Z900, which... If this if photos translate well enough, this will have a much better fit and finish than the Z nine hundred because the Z nine hundred is garbage for fit and finish. Yeah, it is. Uh, but the other bike that you would pay a premium over this for is an MT ten. So this is coming late to the party, but you are getting a modern, up to date, inline four, whereas everybody else is going parallel twin. Okay. I uh, but again, I think it's still for cost reasons in that Suzuki didn't want to develop a new larger displacement twin. They just were like, well, we could just keep for now at least keep making the same inline four. Well, let's and- be real. Suzuki is trying to do an entire fleet off of like five engines. If even, yeah. And has been trying to do that for like three decades. Yeah, I mean, they're just a smaller, they're definitely the smallest of the big four. And people expect Honda sort of things out of them, and they're just not that company. I mean, they're five times the size of Ducati, sure, but that's, but Ducati's really tiny. And Ducati can just command insane prices. People want Honda prices from Suzuki, and they, which they can, they can kind of deliver but they also expect Honda innovation and, and everything, which they can't. They, they just don't have the scale for it. Right. I love Suzuki. I've never owned one. I need to own. I I need to own a Jixer before I die. I need it like a Jixer 600 or 750 or one liter before I die. And something that's like, like 06 to, to 2012, like the real heyday of just Jixerism. Right. Well, I'm I'm pro- I think I'll go for a V Strom when we go through our eight our ADV phase. Yeah, I could do that too. The V Strom's pretty cool. It's the least adventury of the adventure bikes. Well not least adventury, it's the it's the one you see the least, so it, it holds a little bit of magic for me. And I just like that it's got a V twin that's wacky and cool. Anyway, yeah. But this bike was late to the party, and I'm like, it, I don't think this is going to hit like they think it's going to hit. Again, I'll reiterate, my favorite part about the the release of this bike is that in the promo video, the bike gets stolen. Which is a great introduction to the Jixer ownership experience. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very true. All right, well, let's move on to the next bike, which is a little bit more current and on the pulse. Let's talk about the R7, the Yamaha R7. So a lot of people got big boners hearing about the R7 because there was, there is a very rare, very collectible YZF R7 from the early 2000s. And it's a really crazy, high-tech, insane motor. It's a thing that they tried that didn't really work. It had some reliability issues. It was for like a year and a half, maybe two-year model. 
And I mean, it looks like an early gen R6, but it's an R7. And it's got these, it's got some funky stuff about it and just go and read into it. And it's, they're so there, there's crazy some very collectible. There's some very cool stuff about this bike. The first thing you'll notice is these weird turn signals on it. Yeah. Like these really low down turn signals that are going to snap off the moment you drop it. Right. Do you know why they're there? Why? Because this is this bike was initially designed in 2021 to be homologated. I think they initially made a run of 500 right off the bat just to homologate it. Well, yeah, because this is really this is really a for, 650 class. Well, this is for um, this is for Suzuka. Oh, 24 and hour, like 650 twins kind of stuff. I think it's for the eight hour, but yeah. This is this is a homologated race bike, is what this is. Right. This is ninja. Which is also why it's, you've got the air intakes on it and like the super minimalist headlight on this picture, because that's what it's for. So it's yes, it is a parallel twin, and it's kind of based off the 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 MT07. But because they are they designed it specifically for racing and they already had the classes and the races in mind. This is a fairly budget parallel twin with high quality and with racing cred right off the bat. Well, right. But again, what I need to explain to people is the old R7, which is highly collectible, super rare, super cool. You need to think of as Yamaha's Jixxer 750 that didn't work. And what you need to think of this new R7 as is uh, Yamaha's answer to the new Ninja 650. After uh, Kawasaki did all the fucking hero's work of blazing the trail for this new Twins race class. Right. Well, also... So it's it's a it's a Ninja 650 imitator, which is cool that we've got this super cool class. But if you want the real deal, get a new Ninja 650 is kind of my vote. That's true. But you know how much this? Well, let, let's do um, a comparison to something else that's kind of. Well, a little more exotic, but similar. The MSRP on an Aprilia RS660, which is right in the same class, yep, eleven and a half thousand dollars. Okay, Aprilia, pretty big name in racing. Not really a big shiner these days, but you know, still kind of in the pack and boutique, but quirky and cool, beautiful, always on point with the styling. Yamaha, super competitive in racing, for a homologated race bike. What do you think the R7 comes in at? Ten thousand two hundred. Nine. Nine even. Nine even. Ah, oh, what's the Ninja Six Fifty coming in at? Oh, Jesus! I'm prepared for that. Because uh... that's its serious competition. Okay, well, the Ninja is cost nothing. Um, it's 
if I recall. Well, the cheapest is 77 for a 2022 to put them all on equal footing. Yeah. And it's got the most race wins. And it's got the new super cool styling. That's true. Well, that that is true. But also the ninjas that get raced are nothing like the ninjas you buy on the streets. Yeah, the ones you ride in the street look way cooler. They do, but there is so much money putting put into the unless it's a Ninja Four Hundred from from the Juniors Cup. They're really not even the same bike. They're technically the same motor and frame. Uh, but I mean, well, we're we're just talking about Moto America. I don't know what they do to them on Isle of Man, which is really where this Twins Cup started getting a lot of traction. The earliest I saw this six fifty Twins class being taken seriously was was road racing and specifically Isle of Man. People yeah. were like, oh shit, they race at Isle of Man? It must be a legitimate racing class. Yeah, but even the even the RS six sixty has that like kind of street R six style like super slim bodywork that's not it's, really it's R six esque. Yeah. Right. I gotcha. But on on the R seven, you do get I mean, it's it's multiple pieces, but you do get the full bodywork. Yeah, I I'd still go Ninja Six Fifty any day of the week, but uh, but yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's. I like the R seven. I, I think the st- I, I think like the- it. I do like it too. I, I it's just for me, it's not the best of the class, and it doesn't make any financial sense either. The reason to get this is you want a street bike. Inline fours are dead. This is sporty enough. It's it's still it's still tons of power. For, the power to weight ratio is still amazing. You can still just destroy any car you see outside of like a Tesla Model S, and it's 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 really affordable and it's super sporty. You can pop wheelies. You can look like you know to to anybody that doesn't know anything about motorcycles, you'll look like you know you've got a super expensive, high performance race bike. And in, in some ways, you do. And there you go. And you get it for a cheaper price and easier maintenance and and all that stuff. And uh, cool. Well, even if you just come across people on the street, like a lot of people now, you know, now it, you know, used in the old days, it used to be Ninja and Katana were the were the sport bike names everybody knows knew. Even non motorcycle people know what an R six is. Do they? They at this point they do yes. Okay, but R six. What's better than R six? R seven. There you go. <laughs> Even though it's not, yeah. <laughs> the naming is genius. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've had one or two people say to me like, "Oh no, no, no. I didn't have a six hundred. I had a six fifty. And I'm like, "Tell me what else you know about motorcycles." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the six hundred's the good one. But okay, right. Well, no, the six three six is the good one. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the big thing on this is that I think the 650 was kind of blazing the trail kind of out there as 
as creating and legitimizing this class. We've got Aprilia joining it. Uh, I think after this, we need to talk about Triumph sort of joining this. Well, no, Triumph has joined this class. They don't have a fully fared version available yet. But now the only thing left is for Suzuki to produce one. And then it's complete. Once Suzuki produces one, I, everyone will just completely stop making 600s. I think Suzuki is going to take as long to ditch inline fours as it took them to ditch two strokes. Probably. Maybe in like 2035, they'll be like, okay, guys, here's a parallel twin. I think the new world order is two-cylinder 650s and three-cylinder 800s. Mm, maybe. GP might stay at one liter, four cylinders, but I I think World Superbike, give it another five to eight years, is gonna is gonna follow something like that. It's just I we'll see what happens. But as far as homologated race classes, I think six fifty twins, three cylinder eight hundreds is where it's all headed. I think I think the parallel twins are definitely kind of the entry-level club racer arena these days. Yeah. I don't think we're having we're we're not go, we're not having 600 we're not having super sport in line for I mean people are going to w- wave their hands and go like, "Well, what about the SV650?" I I don't know if that's techno as like if that's up-to-date technology with the R7. I don't think it's competitive. I mean, maybe it is. What do I know? But I see a lot of Ninja 650s winning those twins classes, not SV650s. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't been following a lot of twins. Well, anyway, these, let's this let's year, round it out with the uh, the Triumph. Oh, I did not pull that up. Uh, which Triumph are we talking about? The Trident. Uh, right. So this year, Triumph put out a new bike, and uh, shocker, it's a three-cylinder. And this is a weird one because this is Triumph bringing back an old bike name, but in a bike that does not capture the spirit of the original whatsoever, in my opinion. Yeah, so... First of all, it's a really small bike. It's... I've seen them in person. It is really small. I... It's... Is this a new motor? I believe so. Yeah, because the Trident of old was Triumph going, okay, here's a great big stonking... Yeah, you know, I think the original Triumph was a 750 in line three, and it was for the time a very large, big bike. And this is a very small, nimble sort of, uh, what is this, like 65, 70 horsepower, something like that. It's not huge power. I mean, it's not nothing. It might even be just six. Yeah, it's it's for, 80 horsepower. Oh, 80. OK, but still, it's not. Which is. Kind of detuned 
it, it it's definitely more in that kind of mid range. It's still a lot for six hundred for a six six for is it actually six? It is actually six sixty. Okay, truth in advertising. There you go. Uh, that's pretty good horsepower for that displacement in a triple. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, this is like this is like a six fifty with fifteen more horsepower, like a six fifty twin with a bit more with that 47 foot pounds of torque, 80 horsepower. So yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Now keep in mind that they also produced like this, the Daytona six, seven, five was like 125 horsepower. I love the Daytona. That's such a stupid bike. I love it. it's, It's incredible, but yeah. So this is, this is, Rather than, you know, tra- chasing that horsepower dragon, they're they're going for something that people will actually like. Well, what I think is this is Triumph reading the writing on the wall going, well, if they'll allow a three-cylinder in this, we could race this maybe. But really, this is, hey, everyone's coming out with a 650 or a 700 of some kind. This is the new cool displacement. This is the new sort of engine type to be seen on. Let's go ahead and get out a street model, right? Well, I think everybody wants to release a bike with a weird displacement number. Oh, yeah? Yes. Because think about it. We did have a couple decades of everyone being, well, at least 15 years, kind of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, and through to like 2015, of everything being which super sport, which 599cc super sport do you want to buy? What 999.8cc super bike do you want to buy? What 649cc 650 twin do you want to buy? Everything got either fit into a box or it was some weird thing or a cruiser that you right. could buy. Right, and then everyone bought their bikes off of the spec sheets rather right. than so, experiencing the bike and judging it on its so own So unless you really have a strong, strong name recognition for a particular model associated with your brand, if you put 600 or 1,000 on that in that bike's name and you don't already have a strong fan base like you're fucked yeah it makes yeah yeah it differentiates everyone i i agree yeah because if you're if you're not looking for like a naked or fully fared uh super sport or super bike then anything with 600 or 1000 after the name goes into your ignoring list like you're, it's just completely, it's just noise, just disregarded right away. Mm-hmm. So having a seven ninety or an eight ninety or a seven hundred one or well, that, or that also explains or, why this is the Trident and doesn't resemble the Trident of old. It's just hey, what's a name some people might recognize? What because ha- anything that has recognition is worth something. So we could come up with a new name for it, or we could. We have this name hanging around. It, it, I think it would have made more sense to call it the Thunderbird. But they kind of have a Thunderbird already again, don't they? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I for I I would have preferred they just came up with a new name. But whatever. It's the it's the trident. Um I just don't like how small it is. I don't know why. It, it it's the proportions are odd to me. But you know what? Maybe that's a good sign. I'm sure there's plenty of people that are going to really really like this. I don't think it is that small. It is. I just do a freeze frame of a of someone like riding one. It's okay. It's kind of small. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, and that's fine. There's room in this world for that, but yeah, I, I think that I think this is just Triumph going like, hey, this is this is the new engine size that everyone's that's cool with. Let's let's jump on this. This this has some sort of momentum. Well, I think what might be more interesting about this bike is actually just the motor itself. A 660cc inline triple that makes 80 horsepower in that almost 50 foot-pounds of torque, that's a motor that can go in a lot of different bikes and work really well. Yeah. And it's also just like a nice little... Like, go up a little bit. That's the That tells yeah. you how small that bike is. Yeah, but yeah, uh, but yeah, th- that motor out of that displacement with the with that torque and that horsepower, that's a really cool motor that you could put in a lot of different stuff, like a lot of different things. I think that's almost more interesting than the bike itself because the the bike itself is like, oh, it's it's kind of like a more modern interpretation of a Bonneville. But like, okay. I mean, really, there's nothing in the styling of the Trident that we haven't seen before. It's totally uninspired from that perspective. Yeah, it's almost like Triumph's Ducati Scrambler, except there's nothing retro about it. Right. And it's also probably more expensive because it's a triple. Yeah. But I like that motor. I think the motor sounds really cool. And we could, they should, they should give it the, uh, the, ah, fuck, blanking, um, the Africa twin treatment. Yeah. And just make a whole bunch of totally different bikes with different frames and just shove that motor into it. Why not? All right. We got some weirder bikes coming out this year weirder bikes um not weirder no well i don't think any of these bikes have been weird really this is a very very conservative year in terms of styling uh well i guess we've got the new klr 650 yeah so we didn't talk about this very much at the beginning of the year well, but, other than being really salty that they lied to us again. Well, yeah, that's what's important about this bike is that there's no such thing as anyone killing a bike anymore. When someone says, oh, this bike is done, it's not true. Everyone's cried wolf too many times. Until we actually go a year without seeing it, it's not truly dead. Well, even then, it's not truly dead because 
everything can be brought back in whatever form anyone wants. Anyone will just buy the name and commit legacy fraud and restart the company. Uh, I mean, truly, there's a movie coming out next year with Vin Diesel. It's a film version of the game Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Nothing is ever dead anymore. Anything that just anyone remembers in any way, shape, or form, there's anything nostalgia for, or anything that even suggests that someone was nostalgic for, so therefore you can be nostalgic for it through their eyes even, right? But uh, how many people actually played Rock'em Sock'em Robots as kids, right? How old do you have to be to have played that game? Like 50 55 60 it was like 30 dollars of plastic maybe like one in 20 kids had it maybe I, one in 50 when i was a kid i'm almost fucking 40 and rock'em sock'em robots was well done when i was a kid no one had it no one played it it wasn't reissued it wasn't around all the sets were broken they didn't work i mean i saw a couple sets when i was a kid but they were broken they didn't work. And people would talk about it. Like, oh, this game, yeah. And then, like, you know, pro- probably people didn't even really... Like, I was aware of it, but it wasn't until I was, like, maybe, like, 18, 19. People were like, oh, yeah, old school stuff. Like, rock'em, sock'em, robots, man. And I- I'm not aware of anyone, like, under the age of 50 that, like, legitimately, like, you know, got it for Christmas, right? So, like... what? Are, are like 50 and up? Is that like a big movie going like uh, um, demographic? I say not. It just is something that's in the consciousness, right? So in it the motorcycle, safe. right? In the motorcycle consciousness, the KLR is solidly there and will never, ever, 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 ever go away. And This is probably the biggest model that we heard an outcry of people going, no, they've canceled the KLR. Oh, no. And really all they did was say, hey, we're just going to sell the 2019 KLR for another year, and then there's going to be a model update. But we're lying to you in the meantime. And it's just another KLR. It's largely a styling update. They changed the frame a little bit for some things that people complained about. They did go fuel injection. Yeah. I there's there's little things about it, but it it wasn't worth them saying, Oh, we're killing the KLR. Or people just out of control saying the KLR was going to be dead, right? I I mean it, nothing is dead anymore. Nothing, ever. I mean, at this point, I'm not even convinced that, like, AMF, your Harley Davidsons are dead. Like, at any rate, like, <laughs> Harley Davidson is just, like, likely to do a reissue of, like, the 1986 FXDR, right? Uh, sure. Okay. Whatever. The super, the original Superglide. Like, sure. Cool. All right. Yeah, I at this point I'm starting I'm now like just every time somebody says a bike is going away I'm treating it like the nuclear proliferations treaty. 
Yeah. Where it's like, we all signed on for this, but there's going to be follow-ups here, okay? There's going to be inspections. I <laughs> To make sure... <laughs> Because if you just say you're killing this bike, I don't believe you anymore. I mean, would you be shocked at all in any way, shape, or form if in three weeks Indian says we're releasing a 1946 Indian chief? Sorry, if Polaris said we're reissuing a 1946 Indian chief and it's just the new motor made to look as much as possible like the 1940s, you know, like nothing's dead. In a pure sense. Nothing. Yeah. Well, we well, we know this because a lot of people have been burned financially badly, especially in the UK, with old brands like Bruff, Superior, and what was the other one that came back as a boutique brand? All of them have. Ariel... Um, BS, uh, BSA's kind of been star- Norton that was Norton, the other yeah. big the, oh god that was the super gross one that was just using uh, Ninja 650 motors and putting fancy cases on the outside was I mean, they Norton were all the pretty one, much Kawasaki motors I think was Norton the one with the massive pension scandal or I think so. Yeah. It's disgusting. But whatever. Yeah, and they were trying to run it out of a castle at Donington. <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I yeah, I I think everybody needs to be justifiably jaded about that. But all in all, it looks kind of cool what they're doing with the new one. It's just fuck you for misleading everyone. Yeah, it's a KLR. It's a new KLR. Whatever. It's always going to be the KLR. I'm sure it's just as good as any other KLR. It has, you know, it's it shifted some of its focus points, right, from one strength to another, but it's still probably reasonably balanced. I It's got enough power for the road. You can take it to the track and do a couple things with it. You could adventure bike with it, just like every other KLR of all time. Uh, maybe this one will cost a little bit more money to fix if you tip it over but it's kind of designed to be tipped over anyway. My only question is, will this one look as good all beaten up like other KLRs do? Uh, I don't know. Although it looks, like you, will tell. it looks like you can get accessory crash bars over the front bodywork. I don't know how I feel about that. Like a KLR looks great all fucked up. I don't know if this one will. Well, once you get some spray paint and grab some leaves off the side of the road, right? Yeah, give yourself a DIY camo job. Like they're all gonna look properly fucked up. Okay. Yeah, that's all we need to say about the KLR. It's a new KLR. It does KLR things. Some people might be all up in arms, but those are people that's really difficult to hang out with, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's get into some. I'm gonna skip the last two. I think I we. I'll give them an honorable mention, then we'll get into the Harleys, and we'll close out with that. So honorable mentions, just because 
these aren't technically new bikes. These are rearrangements of existing models and frames and motors. We did get the uh, the Indian Scout Bobber 60, in which there was already a Scout 60 and a Scout Bobber. Well, this is a bike that I think is really smart. This comes in really close to what I was saying about the the Rebel 1100. Yes. This well, this scores is also a nine thousand really, yeah. right. This scores really high in that I don't want a beginner bike, but I'm a new rider category. The styling's on point. You you rode it the or the 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 regular version, not the bobber styled version, but you rode this motor. Yeah, I rode, I rode the Scout sixty. I liked it. Yeah, you could keep up with anyone. It was it was fine. It it wasn't thrilling. Which I mean, honestly, like the 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 twelve hundred motor is a little bit thrilling. It's 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 like eighty foot pounds of torque, a hundred horsepower. It's my kind of motor, you know, at a, in a V twin, like really cool. But you know, all right, for just you know, chop off twenty five horsepower of that and keep a lot of the torque and bring the cost down. You've got a winner. Everyone loves the styling. Everyone fucking loves the Scout. If you don't like the Scout, fuck you. I mean, I know I have philosophical yeah, you're, problems you're with like, Indian, but like, I like that bike. I like that bike. I do. I don't like its name, but I like the bike. Yeah, you you just don't. You hate everything around surrounding the bike. Yeah, well, it, it was so much better when it was called the Victory Octane. Yeah, but again, yeah. Um, Cool, but also by the barest, by the slimmest of margins, a new bike. And then we also, in equal measure, have the KTM 890 Adventure, which is a KTM Adventure with a new motor. That it's it's like going from a you know the six nine the the six nine six to the 797 Ducati Monster or whatever, you know, it, it's like, okay, new iteration with the updated motor. It's it's a mid-size KTM adventure. So every motorcycle person has an intentional blind spot. There's a, for some people, Harley Davidson is the big brand for this. For some people, Kawasaki or Yamaha are the big brands for this. But everyone has a brand or a make of mod- of motorcycle that <sighs> the naming system, the styling, the whatever is just too infuriating and it's too much to keep up with and keep straight what is what. There are some basic things about KTM that I can keep straight in my head more than a lot of people, but... I'm not even sure if KTM has really had an original idea for, like, since inception. Every bike is, like, 90% the bike that came before it, and every model is just a very small tweak of what happened before. And they're constantly just fucking with the displacement, with the number of cylinders, with the engine configuration, with 
the styling points, and they're all to me feel just like Lego reconfigurations of like these three or four different bikes with insanely stupid names that overlap each other. And I can't keep it all fucking straight in my head and it drives me nuts. So just the letters KTM just stresses me out because I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, there's that, but also, okay. So we've had 690, 790, 890. We've had 1290, 990, 990, 1190. I don't know if we've had a 1090 yet, but I'm sure it's it's on the list. And then all of those that have have had Duke, Adventure, and Enduro put before and after them, which is fair because it's the same. It's the motor and the style of the bike, which it makes perfect sense. But then it's all corrupted by the fact. That if you add 11 to each of those displacements, it's a Husqvarna with the same motor. (laughs) I can't deal with it. Like you're, you're, you're sticking rigidly to this rule and then you're immediately breaking it. Like, yeah, what's going on? Well, it's like the Harley Davidson naming system with the FLX and FLH and XR and XLs and all that. And people are just like, just fucking call it something I can grasp. You know, like, well, it's an FXDR. I thought you said this was a whatever glide. Well, it is, but oh my God. Like, it, well, you said it's a soft tail. Yeah, but it's a blah, 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 blah letters. But that's a soft tail? Well, some of them are. Like, what? I. No one can keep it. Some people just cannot keep Harley Davidson shit straight. They're like, I know what a Road King is. I, I know what an Electric Glide is. I know what a Sportster is. That's I, yeah. I that that's where I am. If I'm you like, if you sit down and devote like an hour and a half to just looking up the naming system and what the letters signify, you can get a lot of it straight. But But you do have to just kind of sit down one day and go, all right, I'm just going to finally look up what all these letters mean. Is your marketing just homework now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's my problem with every – at least like with the Duke. They just gave us this name, Duke. Okay, it's the Duke, and then the number is the engine size. All right, cool. And then, you know, and Super Duke. Okay, I understand what Super usually means in a motorcycle name. You could have just called it the Duke S, I guess, but whatever, or the Duke R. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. KTM I mean, anyways, stresses me out. Anyway, KTM 890 Adventure. The latest iteration yeah, of a bike I, you've probably seen before. For the people that love it, I'm sure it's great. I, I but yeah. I'll bet I'll bet the Tenere 700 is a better value. Okay, let's round this off with something interesting. Well, I do want to see something real quick about the Tenere 700 value. Uh, I've got this guy that comes into my restaurant very often who knows a lot of people in the off-road racing world uh, or in this area of the country. And uh, apparently recently in sort of the Rocky Mountain like off-road racing league, a guy entered with a, with a Tenere 700 and placed like 11th overall. Wait, in what class? It's or? this weird racing league that's – it's um, – uh they're kind of like endurance races these are like four or five hour 
you know, just off-road races just all around here. Some races are up in Wyoming, some are in Utah, some are mm-hmm. in Colorado. They're in the mountains anyway. It's like a 12-race league. It just finished. It's, you know, it goes most of the year. And, um, but this is like, there's a lot of people riding like, you know, CRF 450Rs and stuff like that. And a right. 10 race 700 placed like 11th overall in the league. Apparently, it kind of really does live up to being the most off-roady of all the adventure bikes. Nice. Just, I just, I know I've talked a lot of shit about that bike, but really what I talked shit about was the hype over it yeah, and it's, how it's almost no one's going to ride it that way, but apparently yeah. it will ride that way. Well, it's, it's a lot like the Desert Sled and the, and the, um, the Scrambler 1200 and like... It's this class of bike that everyone can't shut the fuck up about until it comes out, and then nobody cares. Right. Anyway, let's round this out with the Harleys. So let's start with the Pan America. Actually, no, let's do it the other way around, because I think the Sportster S is, I think, less... less well, people this are is the new of. story that's kind of... This is the mo- This is the new story happening now. Yeah. Okay, well, let's finish off. Okay, I'm trying to turn my mind again. Let's do the Pan America. Okay, well, the most amazing thing about the Pan America is that it was actually released. Yeah, it exists. I, I've i seen them. I've seen them in the wild. Multiple ones. It's selling like hotcakes. And not behind glass. Yeah, I. Uh, this motor works. It's it's there. I've I've heard them started. Uh, let's see. It's it seems that people like it. The it uh, although a lot of the publicity seems to come around Harley Davidson hiring exceptionally qualified competition riders to show it off doing things, but that's fair because that's what BMW does with the 1250 GS Adventure. It's what, true. I what think the it would have been person could the power actually do move, with it. We'll see. I mean, I think the power move would have just to get like some fat bastard onto it and do just some modest stuff like comfortably would have been the way to go. Well, apparently it does it does all that stuff too. Uh personally, I like the look of it. A lot of people were critical of it from the get-go. I think if you go back and listen to any episode that we ever talked about it, I defend the way it looks. I like the shark nose. I think the shark nose is is weirdly classic Harley in a lot of ways. It's It kind of reminds me of a street glide. Always has, and I think it's a legit look. Well, I think they did clean it up a little bit. Like This is much narrower and much less street glide than the prototype was. I perhaps, but it's still the same concept. And I, and you know what? Actually, hats off to them because designing a new and original motorcycle headlight is like designing a new and original and instantly classic looking guitar peg head. Yeah. Seems like it's something not all that hard to do at first. And then actually go through all the classic guitar peg heads and see how many are really just a Gibson Epiphone Martin 
or fender copy or very slight variation. Like how many new ones are there? And sure you can make a new one, but is it any good? This is a new motorcycle headlight. And it's instantly classic and it's instantly good. That's a really, really hard trick to pull off. Yeah. Well, also just what I also, what I really like about this is that it's very obvious that this is liquid cooled, but it still has the Harley Davidson signature. Just no matter what, the whole profile view of the cylinders will be on display in that style and the pipes. But it also fits into an adventure profile. But it's still muscly. Right. It's and it's just a little bit bulkier and more angular compared to what you would normally see in a Harley. But also, at a glance, you will never mistake this motorcycle for any other motorcycle. Oh, it's still got that 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 sort of working class like well, okay. I was say the part of it that's sort of working class for me is that it's got it's not that technical look, right? It's not the technical look that we've talked about. It's brute force. No, 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 no. It, I, well, a little bit. I argue that this motorcycle looks a little bit tactical. Yeah. I would not be surprised if there's like a nine line version of this bike that's going to come out pretty soon. Are we going to get like a, are we going to get a cult edition? Yeah. I think it should come with like Eagle vision sunglasses. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's the right blend of, of modern styling and that, that again, that tactical look it's, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit of a special forces motorcycle, right? And that really appeals to the Harley crowd. And I think if Harley can kind of give their bikes a little bit more of this tactical look and weave that into some of their cruisers, I think that might be a really great direction for them to go. Yeah. I can see that working. Uh, the only problem I have with that is they 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 need to not make the mistake of releasing a camo edition. Cuz this is something that I've been, this is something that I have been trying to I don't to. think you can stop that. I think this is going to do that. I think this is going to have the uh the 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 warhead shark things on the side of it and all kinds of oh, stupid Oh no, like bullshit. the the Mustang like the the Mustang like shark head I'm totally on board with, but camo, I like Walmart has trained me to understand that camo means cheap Chinese bullshit. I agree, but the tactical crowd out there is still real into it. <laughs> yeah. I think the World War II vibe is definitely what they should go for. And it, this actually works really well with these big, like, flat panels you can work with. There's a lot of room for customization just in paint jobs and decals with this. 
But hey, I'm glad that it exists because now the Bronx might exist. And what also hopefully will exist is the next bike we're going to talk about. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about the Sportster S. I'm kind of stoked for this. Also, I, I think the the big reason I am stoked for this. So if you haven't heard, Harley's sort of like, okay, the the Evo engine is finally going to officially die. This motor from like 1986, we're finally going to stop making. And I, you know, there's gonna it's it's perfect. Because there's going to be a couple grumpy guys out there. They're like, well, that's the last real Harley Davidson. There it goes, right? And it's and in a way, it's going to make the Sportster a little bit more special that way. Or the old ones, right? Well, yes, I'm sure a lot of people also lamented the end of, like, the... Leaded fuel. Leaded gas <laughs> and uh, whale oil lamps. Right. So... So the, so we're going to get a new Sportster, supposedly. Or I think next year or something, they're going to... I think it's hard to... Who knows what's going to happen? But from what I've pieced together, the plan is next year, you'll still be able to buy an 883 and a Sportster 1200, sort of like wall supplies last. And alongside of it, they're going to sell this, the Sportster S, which at some point, I'm guessing, will just become the Sportster. And with that you get this new revolution motor, which as people used to call the old evolution motors, Evos, I guess they're just going to start calling these Revos because it's less awkward sounding than saying the revolution motor. The first time I hear a Harley guy say Revo, I'm just going to call it Revo. I'm just going to stick to my guns and not acknowledge it. Well, Revo is fine, too. But if they say Revo, I'm going to say Revo. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I just, again, I I don't want to say, I don't care what you say, because Revolution is a little bit of of a, a thing. Because although we think this motor is a great move for Harley Davidson, it's really just Harley Davidson. Okay, so the Milwaukee 8 was Harley Davidson catching up to like early 80s Yamaha. Yeah. This engine is Harley Davidson catching up to mid nineties Honda. <laughs> right. Right. And and that's all well and good. I mean, hey, we're making progress pretty quick here, right? It's been like a five year difference between these engines. So I Well I'm yeah, cool. I mean, Revolution fits as long as you're like talking about it in the context of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, it's fun. I can deal with it. I can deal with it. You know, we've got overhead cam. We've got four valves. We've got liquid cooling. Again, we're just trashing the name. I'm glad that Harley is doing this. I like this bike. I I do too. Yeah. Uh, uh, So bring up a picture of this sports dress. I haven't laid eyes on this for like a week or two. Um, It's odd that it's the Sportster S. Well, it's weird because, well, like, Ducati uses S and, well, Yamaha and Ducati use S as, like, the the detuned versions of of their premium bikes. So it's a little weird that the S is, 
like the actual like high performance liquid cooled motor. It's weird seeing the S model as the premium model. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it should be well, but it also would be weird if it was the Sportster R or something. Well, no, the Sportster R would be fine if it was if that if Sportster R meant Sportster Revolution or Sportster Revo, right? That would have worked well. That would have been a better way to go because there's nothing particularly sporty about this bike. Uh, I mean, we know the power it's going to make. It's got the 1250 motor. It's going to make Pan America power, which is like, again, roughly like 115 horsepower or something like that. I don't think it's going to make that much. Well, we'll see. It's whatever it is, but okay, fine. It will be enough. I want It will this- be enough for this frame and this configuration. I want this bike to do very well for a couple reasons. One, it's just more proof that Harley can move into this area and people will accept change. And two, specifically, I want the Bronx. I want the Bronx to exist, especially if you can get a version of the Bronx with VR 1000 uh, uh, um, uh, race fairings. I am so in. I don't even make the bike that way. Just give me the Bronx with the the 950 motor in it and I'll go to Shark Skins and I'll make the VR1000 version happen myself, okay? I I'll get the race fairings and paint them up and cut out for the headlight and do all that work myself. Because there are people that make copies of that old bodywork. But I want to see somebody take it and like go the step further. And like really lower the bars and raise the seat up and just go full on for the, um, do you remember the, the weird motorcycle cults from, um, from full throttle? Oh yeah. Just make it like uncomfortably, like over the top aggressive. Yeah. (laughs) Man. We we need to do an episode on motorcycle video games. Well, there's only one good video game around motorcycles, and that's Full Throttle. There are no others. No. Hang On, Super Hang On, Road Rash. Um, there, there's, some, there's a couple legitimately fun motorcycle games. Yeah, they're yeah, but they're all kind of a little bit arcadey. Like the only good like deep motorcycle gang is Full Throttle. Full Throttle is probably the best, but I mean, I have I have Super Hang On for Genesis, and it's great. It's I you you should come over and we should play we should play it for a little bit. It's it's first of all, it's really fucking hard. So in the arcade, it was infuriating. The only great thing about it in the arcade is you had the giant plastic motorcycle to sit on, right? But I, at home, when you have unlimited lives and you can really start getting good at it, there's a lot more legit motorcycle technique than you would give it credit for, for like coming out in 1989. It's pretty good. And all, all the bike upgrades make a lot of sense. It's, it's, and it's a really great picture at that era of racing, of big, you know, double cradle, you know, 751 liter super bike, like late 80s class race. It's it's mm. a nice little walk through the past. 
Okay. Anyway, I mean, my general opinion is that motorcycle video games are terrible. They're really hard to do well. They're really hard to do well. Like all the new MotoGP games hold like no magic for me. But Road Rash is pretty sweet as well. But from a completely ridiculous point of view. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Should we take a break or just uh, give a little quick wrap up to GP and GP news here? Let's take a quick break. All right. Let's. All right. And let's just do some quick GP news. So. These last couple races, not really super eventful, except, well, I mean, there were some things. So, Well, it's it's Red Bull Ring, which is a great Formula One track and a totally bullshit MotoGP track. Well, I... It's always, this is always, this is the letdown for me that everybody portrays Coda as being. Perhaps. Uh, so this is the track. If Okay, this is the track that looks like a whale. And there's one really, really brilliant turn in this track that's great to watch. But the, the rest f- is all sweeping. Right. Everyone so, holds all their speed through every other turn. And if you look at this track as a whale, it's the turn that is the belly of the whale. And... Last year, it's the it's the one where Rossi almost got taken out by a flying bike. Well, Rossi and Vignales, in fact. It's that turn. And they've extended the wall, and they've made it much, much safer. But it's still great because people just constantly blow that turn all over the place. And there's a lot of just craziness that happens there. And that's really the interesting focal point. And races are won and lost in that corner. And... But yeah, so in that way, it's kind of a one-dimensional track. Because it's sort of like, okay, how much speed can you scrub off there and then recover? Which is why they still say it's a little bit of a Ducati track. There there are some sectors that the Yamahas did well in it. it I don't know, but whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, so, well, I mean, in terms of the GP results, we got... Two really interesting facts. One is Jorge Martin winning his first race in his rookie year. Yep. Which he came close to doing before, but kind of lost his mojo at the er, end er, a little sorry, bit. No. Is this his second year? That's his rookie year, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And um, then we got Joanne Mir. Uh, I think he's one point less than he was last year at this point in the season. Oh, really? Yeah, he's kind of just holding steady where he was. And we're also kind of seeing Quattararo not putting in the results as much. Quattararo always runs hot and cold. That's Quattararo. <clears throat> it's true. But it's it's an interesting... I mean, he's not... I mean, but Joy we're also seeing Zarco looking really good still. Just, just those third, fourth place mm-hmm. finishes all over the place. But yeah, we had a... We had a Suzuki and a what, what is um yeah we had a Suzuki and a Yamaha not a Yamaha Ducati uh, a Suzuki and a Ducati yeah it was it was not only was it Jorge Martin's first win and maybe even first no he had a podium as well I oh, no, no, no. anyway Jorge Martin's yeah. first win in his rookie year 
also um, uh, Premac Ducati's first win. Yeah. And I, I was before for, yeah. the break, there was a lot of talk about, well, why hasn't Premac Ducati won a race yet? And they were like, hey, I mean, we're a satellite team. You know, we hold our heads high in the paddock. We're we're a satellite team. We're we're punching above our weight class. And then, boom, they just win this race. Jorge Martin qualified on pole, did really well. And then, what was it, four laps in? Danny Pedrosa had a crash. And then, um, what's-his-face from Aprilia comes around this corner. Because of the, the position of the pack, couldn't even see Danny Pedrosa's bike, just smacks into it. Both bikes explode it's a miracle no one died and if you look at the way danny pedrosa and um what's his face was it was it a leash no it was the other writer um was it pole no no pole pole who's the other affiliate writer i'm totally blanking on this no one knows his name uh okay give me a sec well anyway i've got the results it's a miracle none of them were seriously hurt but but uh, but like there's just like gas and oil all over the track and it took forever to clean up it took forever Oh was it Salvadori? Yes. Okay. So so there but the cra- here's the craziest part because they had backup bikes and it took so long to redo the track they both got to restart. And I don't know understand like but there's something about black flag rules for the race are red flag rules where oh no it, it was because they um okay so there this is like the weird insane bureaucracy of racing rules um so it was a red flag for the race right which means there's something so dangerous on track they just have to shut the race down right but because it was so early on it wasn't red flag and restart the race with um, whatever the last finished lap was in terms of position. Because, you know, like if you pass somebody halfway around the track and then there's a red flag before everybody finishes the lap, it doesn't matter that you pass that person. It's whatever the times, whatever the positions were crossing the finish line on the previous lap. Right. So that's one way of doing it once you're a certain way through the lake. Through the race, and you do a reduced number of laps, and you finish the race out. The other is a race reset. Yeah, and I if don't understand restart, where the distinction is between the two. So if you if it's early enough, and you do a race reset, so that you start over, then it doesn't matter who crashed out. Like you're still in the race. Yeah. The the race just literally starts again as if the first laps didn't matter. So Salvadori and Pedrosa were both able to just restart, even though their bikes exploded. So Salvador did not restart the race. Oh, but uh, he, but, but he would have been allowed to if he wanted to. Yes. Uh, but Pedrosa did. Well, actually Aprilia may not have backup bikes. That may be the reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, they had like 30 minutes to set it up, so... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, he he got banged up pretty good, too. He may have just legit not been in physical condition to do it, but I'm guessing Aprilia brings two bikes, and that's it. They don't bring four. So Pedrosa restarted the race, and on a KTM bike that 
he's only ever been a uh, a test rider for restarted the race after crashing and still came 10th yeah top 10 yeah um also what was interesting about this race is uh cal crutchlow was in this race pedrosa was in this race mark marquez was in this race valentino rossi was in this race i was like holy shit it's 2014 again I I don't know. I was just sort of stoked as, as they lined up, and I was like, "Look at all these old guys in this race. This is weird." Um, but this was also the race. The where, only person we were missing was Dovey. Yeah, yeah, Dovey was really mi- yeah. I mean, and, and an honorable mention for Ianone. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it was almost like the Beatles reunion after John Lennon died. I was like, "What? <laughs> the, is, this is great, but not quite everyone's here. But it's close enough." Yeah. So the um, the race was interesting. I think. But I think it, so it was also one dimensional. But it was fine because we haven't seen a race for like five fucking weeks. So I think in terms of um, profile and just getting attention. Jorge Martin winning this race is going to put a lot of pressure on Bagnaya because we all know that Bagnaya can be fast and he can be the fastest on the weekend for at least one lap. Yeah. And we know, like, we've seen him put it in the fastest lap time and time again and not get a result. And he he's kind of always been like, yeah, we can see why he got the factory seat and he's got that potential. But it's 10 races and it hasn't materialized yet on a mm. factory bike. And now Jorge Martin just comes up on the pre-Mac and wins a race. It's starting to put pressure on him. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about what next year's Ducati lineup is. But we know that both Ralph Fernandez, Ralph Fernandez is going to Tech 3 next year. Uh, which is KTM and... Um, and uh, Remy Gardner is going to um, he's going to factory, isn't he? Uh, I haven't actually looked this up, but I would assume so. I'm pretty sure he's going to factory. Unless KTM, KTM is insane. I think they're keeping. Are they keeping Oliver or Bender? I can't remember. It's all nuts. If somebody's going to go, it's going to be Bender. I think Bender may be going down to tech three as well or something like that i think bender might be going to take anyway, that would make sense it, it's all jumbling up there's there's surprisingly quite a bit of seats available right now seats are changing up a lot like they used to back in the day it's sort of now going like okay every bike is good you've got one or two seasons to start producing something or next next until we find a superstar because all well, the bikes are good unless you're lcr honda oh because yeah. there's a little too much politics involved in those seats yeah that's a weird weird team like hey let's put the most political emphasis on the what are definitely the worst two bikes on the grid <laughs> yeah I, uh, I seriously at this point would you rather get let's say you're a moto 2 rider would you rather go to Team Grassini Aprilia or LCR Honda? That's a because at least with at least with Team Grassini, you make a top ten and people go, "Hey, look at this guy overriding the bike." You go LCR Honda, you're like, "Yeah, he got a top ten on a Honda, whatever." 
Yeah. And LCR Honda just has the stench of failure all over it. Or at least Aprilia is cool. It's because it's so like heroically bad. Right. What I wanna, well, here's a question. Cause I haven't heard anything about this, but Paul Spargro's ride. Who is, who's the dude from Moto2 who is brave enough to take that, the monkey's paw which is the number two Repsol Honda at this Ooh, point. Um, well, I can tell you like 90% of the grid would take it, but who would take it and do well with it? Mm. Who would take it and do well with it? I think Remy Gardner could do it. But I don't know who the else. But he's already got a bike. I don't know who would Bezeki? do it. Bezeki might be. Bezeki might be crazy enough to do it. Uh, I'm going Bezeki. Uh, well, no, no, no. Who, 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 who was the guy that uh, was it? Bezeki that got really pissed off about getting third place taken away from him. Uh oh no, that was um I can't remember who that was. Who was that? That might have been Augusto. No, no, it was um I can't remember. You know what? You're phrasing the question wrong. I know who's crazy enough to do it and who's crazy enough to do well with it, and he's not in Moto Two. He's in Moto Three. What do you think, Acosta? No. Well, no, Acosta actually probably legitimately could do really well with it. Are thinking like Darren? Ben- oh, oh, you're. Oh, I know who you're thinking about. You're thinking of um, uh, 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 one moment. You are thinking of Fanati. Romano Fanati is fucking crazy enough. Because here's the thing, I think Romano Fanati because his riding style is so fucking bananas. I've never seen anyone try to ride the Honda that way with the big corner speed. Well, I mean, the, maybe uh, there's a very good reason for that. Like, I think there but, is. Uh, but again, Romano Funati is just fucking crazy enough to try it. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that Romano would do way better on a Yamaha. The Honda's like. Everything the Honda does is all around late breaking, which is really not what Fanati does. I think it might. I think you may be exactly wrong here. It's possible. I it, think. I think because Fanati goes wide and just carries all the corner speed. Right. That's not what the Honda does. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I, I think. I think Pedro Acosta would actually do really well on it. Okay. Okay. So we have to talk about the Suzuki, uh, the Suzuki's new device. Oh, the ride height device. Right. I I still have no fucking clue what this is. It's essentially, um, it's just the it's it's like the inverse of the um, the the whole shot device. It's like a lever that they press that lowers the the rear of the bike 
it lowers suspension at the back and it just basically gives you just a little bit more like downforce a little so you can apply um it just changes the rear suspension to be lower and stiffer i'm not sure by what mechanical means it does it but when they press it like the tail of the bike goes down and there's just and it's just less sprung so there's more weight of the rider pressing down on the rear wheel so they can apply more power to the ground. So is this for in the straightaways or in the corners? The exit of the corner. Is this sort of like almost like a suspension Jake break where like when they come out of the corner, they can just like release all of the rebound so that the wheel doesn't the rear wheel doesn't like bounce back up and they keep more power to the ground coming out of the corner yes well so as you come out the corner and you pull and you turn the throttle right the front suspension goes up and the back suspension goes down a little bit right so what if you have a lever that lets the rear suspension go down more Right, you use more of the bike's power as, as the front as the front suspension goes up. You you know the you, you can you basically it softens the re- they pull a lever that so- or press a button whatever it is that softens the rear suspension. So the more of the rider's weight and the force of the bike is pushing down on the rear wheel, so they can apply more pressure. Is this like the opposite of like the Honda FX turbo button that just? <laughs> No, I mean, Let's when, the, you, when you, there were like slow motion shots during the race where they showed it working at, um, as Mir was like exiting corners, you could see his hand like move. He pressed the button and the rear of the bike like dropped like half, like, you know, an inch or something. Mm. And just the bike has more traction to deliver better power. Okay. It's a meaningful thing. And apparently every other bike has just quietly adopted this over the last like two seasons. And Suzuki's the last one to get it. Mm. Okay. So I think this was something that Ducati just quietly like added whilst they had the, uh, the, the rear, um, the rear uh, window, like air deflector. Oh Yeah. Yeah, or maybe this is what this is the the little brain that was in the uh, the salad box. A salad. Box. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I want to meet the person who popularized that. Like, <laughs> like where did that come from? Well, it, just because it looks like a takeout box, like you know, like a, like a restaurant, like clamshell takeout box but some people call it a salad box i guess i don't know anyway (laughs) but yeah i think the brains for this is what was in the salad box personally uh so there you go um i don't know moto 2 our boy uh crashed out we have no hopes now of of him doing anything our american writer what's his face joe roberts joe roberts um Remy Gardner winning again. No, he didn't win. He came fourth. He oh, was you're right. You're right. Totally poised to win, but blew a turn, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's his face one? Um, oh, my gosh. 
it was such a weird afternoon for me. I'm getting everything mixed up in lines. But anyway, uh, the championship is yeah. The, the the championship is largely unchanged. Is the yeah. point? Yeah, yeah. Connect uh, got a podium, which is interesting because he usually crashes out. Yeah, he didn't look like he was a total disaster, ready to wipe anybody out at any given moment in the race, which was promising. Um. But Remy Gardner still finished ahead of Raul, so extending his lead. And I don't want to jinx it, but it feels like it's kind of a done deal at this point. It's just going to keep trending this way unless something yeah. dramatic happens. Yeah, at this point, I'm only watching Moto2 to see if there's going to be an interesting one-off win from a rider that might get him some bizarre contract. Remy Gardner's winning this. Ralph Fernandez is coming second. That's how it's happening. But it feels earned. And it's it awesome. To, it awesome. It's awesome to see it happening on the KTMs. Mm-hmm. Very strong. Uh, and then I didn't even see Moto3. Um, well, I need to still watch I mean, it. But really, yeah. all you need to know is that Pedro Acosta just did his thing again. Yeah, that yeah. If the, of all the classes, Moto Three is the most foregone conclusion. I I just only I'm only going to watch to see how Darren Binder does. Hopefully, it's a podium. I, we'll see. It's probably going to break my heart yet again, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, but it's 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 weird to see. Uh, Pedro, like, bring order to the most chaotic class by just consistently finishing first. In really the way that, in a way that only, like, Brad Bender did. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Bender had one of those just unbelievable Moto3 seasons. One of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Marquez, Brad Bender, and now... Now Acosta might might be based on what we've seen thus far. I mean, it could just all fall apart, but unlikely. I I think Brad Binder might have been my favorite Moto three winner, especially winning from the well, back of the I mean, pack, Pedro, being the first to do that. Well, Pedro has already one upped Brad Binder with by winning lane. from pit lane. <laughs> yeah, but but Brad being the first to do it from the back of the pack that was amazing. Oh, that's and, not true. Marquez did that. Did he really? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. But but also, I mean that that Marquez year again, probably the least the least impressive of the three because he was trading wins with Jack Miller, wasn't it? That was Marquez and Miller on the same team, wasn't it? It was a weird season, yeah. And and Miller and Marquez were just constantly trading wins. And I, and that was that was a that was a better year, but as a as a championship sort of wit, like trail to the to the victory performance, Bender's my favorite to date. It is weird. And I think the most to think impressive. back on that season and think about like Marquez and Miller leading, and both of them just not imploding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How how did both of them not how do, how were both of those two riders stable in the same season? Yeah, 
Well, I, maybe a great way to, to finish this conversation because we're, we're running long on time here is uh, where do we think Marquez is in his mental and physical state now? Because he came back and he had a, a nice win and a strong win. And when it was like, okay, Marquez is back, but he doesn't seem to be fully back. He's not doing awful, but now he's just a top 10 rider. Uh, I don't know. He He's had a couple of rough weekends. That's, that's not a big enough sample size. I think he's fit to ride. I think he is still going to have a little bit of a mental issue. Which is very similar to, was it like the 2015, 2014 season that he imploded on? I I think he's having... I think it was 16. It might have been 16. I want to say it was 15. Maybe, yeah, it was 15 or 16 when he just like totally imploded. Um, But I think he's going to have that kind of season where he's just not sure where anything is. He also doesn't know who his real competitors are going into the next year with everything being a bit more chaotic. Because it used to be like, okay, I just have to worry about Rossi. Okay, I just have to worry about Lorenzo. Okay, I just have to worry about Dofi. But it's all kind of all over the place. You can't pace yourself off of one competitor to to lead a race anymore. So and when race conditions are like every other racing league in the world, instead of those specific like trailing end of alien years that Marquez was used to, he implodes when it becomes normal racing. He can't deal with it. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying is that he's coming back in and he doesn't have a reference. I get that. But, uh, you know, as I look at how he did in this race, he could have been doing so much better, but he kept having those those uh, incidents with Alicia Spargro and running wide, going really boldly into turns and then not knowing how to navigate traffic and getting overconfident because he just wanted to make a big move and then not having the balls to pull it off. And... Uh, I think he's 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 still a little shaken when it really comes to that oh shit moment. I don't think he can commit that true hundred percent anymore. I think it's a ninety nine percent commit. Yeah, I I don't know if I don't know if he can do if he can recover from like well since well since he's come back and we haven't seen a lot of races, but. I don't know if he has the confidence to pick himself back up from a crash midturn anymore. I don't know if he has that. I think he realizes that he's mortal now. I think he can still win races if he gets the whole shot. I think he can still win a race Lorenzo style. Yeah. I think with open track in front of him, he can be flawless and all of that. But I think if he gets swallowed up in the pack, I... When it's tight racing, I, I don't know if he's got it anymore. Because he used to be able to fall back and then just battle through people, make some really ballsy turns. Like, do you, like Mark Marquez has made some of the sketchiest passes in all of MotoGP history. Yeah. Well, I mean, remember there were races where, um, where he switched 
tires and pulled into pit lane after the warm-up lap star from pit lane and it was two laps from 20th to like fourth right where he's just passing people it's like excuse me i'm not supposed i i belong up there yeah let me let me through yeah like (laughs) excuse me do you know who i am Uh uh-huh yeah but that does not happen anymore that's not right or if it does, like it, it might end up in an accident because he might die for something and then not that last 99 to 100% of commits, right, has all to do with that rider in front of you, like knowing you're not going to flinch. So they have to, right? When you're both going for the same piece of track, Marquez on all those sketchy passes, it worked because they're like, shit, that's Marquez. He's not going to move. Right? So your Cal Crutchlow's, your Danny Pedrosa's, even your Rossi's on occasion would just have to yield because it's Marquez. He's unstoppable and he's not going to give you anything. You're not as dumb as I am. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is the guy that can pick himself up from slides and corners. Like, fuck it. Like he's gonna go. I don't I know don't, if we're gonna yeah. see that ever again. Well, I I think I think you know it's you know the, the, they've kind of seen the emperor's got no clothes in that one. Like all of a sudden, oh no, we he's mortal. He knows it, and we know that he knows it. So he can't just muscle his way through anymore. And when he does, he kind of looks like an asshole, right? Like, well, that's not new. Well, yeah, I guess <laughs> that's true. But I mean, everyone in this race was like, did you really have to keep just banging your bike into Alicia Spargo like that? Did you really need to do that? For what? Ninth to eighth place? Like, really? We'll see. I, again, it's... it's he's, he's obviously not still 100%. The question is, will he return to form? Or... Is it too far? Is he is he going to be at a lower level for the rest of his career? I think he might be at a lower level. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, he still has a legacy that's basically untouchable. Well, I mean, it's not Rossi's legacy, but I mean, he's going to be top three legacies of all time for probably the rest of our lifetime. Well, in terms of the one leader... Um, GP era, it is untouchable. He does have the best record in this current era. That's true. Yeah, Rossi's is spread out between one liter, then eight hundred, then one liter. You know, five cylinders and five hundred two strokes. It's all over the place. Yeah, I think Rossi's era, Rossi's legacy is so unbeatable because it's so varied. And and Marquez is unbeatable because it's so specific. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. But, I mean, you put the two of them up there with Giacomo Agostini. He's made the podium of all-time greats. I mean, there's nothing else you can ask for. Well, this is also this, this also has bigger implications. So if you're Honda and you're looking for your next champion, and if you look at what, what Marquez is doing... You can't keep pole on the number two bike. No. 
you've got to make a move. You let you. This is what you do. You let you let Marquez race for as long as he fucking wants to race because he's Mark Marquez and like Rossi, you just let him race until he's fifty three if he fucking wants to. That's what you do. But in the meantime, you need to diversify. Well, you don't coast on the number two bike. You turn it into a hot seat. Exactly. And just new young blood every season until you get some results. Like, whatever it takes, unless if you don't see progress in the first five races, it's like, okay, look, you're a second year, con one year contract is seriously in question until you start putting in results. And it's got to be rookie rider, rookie rider after rookie rider. Over and over and over again. Yeah, I say you made that. You made a point about something a few weeks ago or months ago about um, not killing Rhodesian Ridgeback puppies anymore. I say kill them. <laughs> I, I say let's take let's 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 get this never-ending supply of puppies and let's just see if they have the genetic the 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 if they randomly have the gene for it or not. And if they don't, slit their throats. Next, let's prematurely end some kids' careers. Just give them more opportunity than they're able to handle, and let's see what happens. It is time to be cruel. In yeah. the Honda paddock. If if you want the number two Honda bike, you better get a win your rookie year, or else next one year contracts. Boom. Yeah. Moto three rookies, one year contracts. Let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, Honda's always been able to sit back and just like look at silly season, and at the end be like, "Well, you're doing well. Do you want to just cut that con? Do you want to?" Just get out of that contract and come with us. Like Honda has always been able to just sit back and see because they've had six years of Marquez crushing every year. And like, we don't need a good, solid number two rider. We can just kind of play the field and see what's interesting. And, you know, Petros is doing well enough. So we'll just see what's going on. Let's just play the field. Well, and Petros but that, that is, that Petros attitude is has a to legend stop. in and of himself as well. Right. But that attitude has to stop now. It's oh, it got to get, it's got to get brutal. Yeah. Well, if there's, if there's a racing team that's cruel and heartless enough to do it, it's, it's, it's <laughs> HRC, right? Yeah. <laughs> as much as I love Honda, like HRC is a fucking, <laughs> moralist like ruthless like godless <laughs> demon of a race team <laughs> all right we have one last thing to talk about okay valentino rossi officially announcing that he will retire at the end of the season Ugh. He should have done it two years ago. This is the last possible moment he could have done it with some shred of dignity. I'm glad that it... I'm just relieved that it happened this year. Well, now he gets to move into the next part of his career where he becomes like Gigi Delinia, Aki Ayo, and, uh, and Yaku Agostini, like all rolled into one. He's gonna have. He's gonna get to like fund these race teams. He's gonna be able to throw so much money and advertising and branding and like think about the sponsorships that are gonna come to this race team. 
Everyone wants to be associated with VR46. This is going to be some of the most prime real estate for advertising on the fucking grid. So here's what he can do that I think he absolutely should do. And he can still be a racer while owning a team without just completely mocking the event. Okay. He's getting his team next year. His VR46 branded team. Right. He should run that team. And he can do that while still having enough time. To race Moto E? Yes. It would bring some... It would bring some... Yeah. I mean, he's probably good enough to do it and win. Uh, it would bring some prestige to it. It might be a little weird, but okay. I don't disagree with that. I think in the past I've suggested that too. I, But I think he's just going to be too hands-on with the team, which is great too. Either way, it's fine. Maybe he's got time to do it. I don't know. Well, but, he'll have a lot more time than racing MotoGP. Yeah. And orchestrating the VR46 Academy on a race weekend. Right. Uh, I think it's going to be great. I, I think there's a lot of Italian talent. It's all related to him. He's sort of the son of it. Like, it all revolves around him. And I think he's going to do great things for the sport, promoting the sport. He'll have more time to do it. He'll have more time to to do media stuff and promote the sport right he might start like being on podcasts and things and i you know just being valentino rossi like i you know like could we get a valentino rossi reality show i'd watch the shit out of that i you know i there's a lot of things to it but primarily the the promotion and Funding a different kind of team is the most important thing he can do now. And now he's free to do it. Right? We all see the impact that someone like a Akiayo has on the sport. He has potential to be so much more. Right? He already has a reputation for spotting good talent. Yeah, a lot. Well, the majority of the talent the last two seasons. Right. I, I, yeah, I mean, everyone like that's been, you know, VR 46 promoted is above that, the mid level of talent, right? None of them suck. So I, none of them have been gigantic disappointments, at least not yet. Uh, well, except for, um, oh, Bulaga hasn't really developed that well. But I mean, by and large, it's doing pretty well. As well, yeah. I mean, you can never guarantee race results, right? But VR46 is a pretty, like, I, if it was the stock market, I'd call VR46 a battleship stock, right? Yeah. It, it's not just going to, like, whirlwind, take the thing by storm, but it is very steadily, slowly rising. Yeah. And it's a hard force to interrupt. Yeah, that's true. So, anyway. uh. I'm stoked for it. I think Valentino Rossi is just going to become an even more charismatic character for the sport. I think he's going to be more useful to the sport in this role than he has been as just this legendary racer who's still out there. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, I, it's as a rate, like 
I don't know. I, I can't put myself in his shoes and to see like what kind of truth you have to come to, to, to hang it up like that, to like, what has, like who has to sit you down? Right. I mean, how many times does Val has Valentino Rossi heard the words? No, heard the, or the word. No. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be tough. It, I, I guess it probably just does take years of seeing that, those finishes in in your face and seeing your age and seeing everything to to come to terms you're gonna hang on too long because mentally that's who racers are right i i you know we we can say he should have done it years ago but we're also not racers right like i'm only very mildly getting into the kind of riding where i push myself to limits at as i'm approaching middle age and and I'm already like, oh, well, there's already a ceiling with this because of where I'm at and how much I can hurt myself. Like, how how do you how do you do it when it's all you've done since you were like four years old? Yeah. So I I, I think we should be a little bit kind to him in in him in, in it taking this long because it's not like he's, I mean, even though he's only had a couple like top 10 finishes this year uh, or if he maybe even only one, I mean, it's still better than Carol Abraham's last season. Right. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I, I writers have had their contracts renewed with worse seasons, not many, but it has happened. So in a way there's still a little bit of grace to it. Like, I'm not going to say it's completely out of like who knows by the end of the season, maybe he'll win a rain race. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Like if we went to Coda and it's a rain race and he just goes, all right, I've got, you know, Marquez has lost his magic and he's, you know, and I know this course as well as anybody and just boom. Right. Wins a rain race. Great way to go out. Wouldn't that be a wonderful story? That would be pretty awesome. So let's just hope for that and, you know, and and try to be positive. Because I think he's going to be a, a, a much bigger force in the sport moving forward. Bigger than ever. I mean, we say he's like this old man, Rossi. He's only 42, Right. Like like he's still a really lively dude in the it's not like he's going to quit racing and then like start walking around with a crutch, you know. It like I think everyone like thinks like oh Rossi's going to like retire and then he's going to walk around like with like a cane like Carmelo, right? Like <laughs> just waiting to die. That's not what's going to happen. He's 42 and he's in amazing physical condition. This guy's going to do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it yeah, it's important to look at this as yes, he's he's bowing out now in the last moment he could with dignity in terms of racing itself, but there's so much more he's gonna do. Yeah, he probably hasn't done the biggest thing he's going to do in his life yet. Uh well from from an athletic perspective, I think he has. For riding a motorcycle, yes. But in terms of like the potential to build a team, become a manager, 
become a talent scout, fulfill the role that like Akiaya was doing. He made like he made like kind of do the inverse of what Larry Bird did and just go like just become a phenomenal uh-huh. uh writer coach or a phenomenal uh team manager or yeah. a talent scout. Or all of those things at the same time. Yeah, I think that's what's gonna happen. All right. We gotta we gotta put this one to an end. So whew. well, you know, it's fine that it's a long episode because it's coming out late. So, you know, here we go. Well, again, I have no idea what the timing on this next week's episode is going to be. If we can just conveniently catch up and do another one for next Monday, so be it. Or maybe we'll put out a few week, uh, episodes midweek for a while till we get back onto the Monday drop schedule. Or maybe we'll change it forever. I don't know. It is what it is. I refuse to be stressed out about it. So with that, you know, don't worry. The next episode will come out in some reasonable amount of time. And yeah, this has been... Season 5, Episode 2 of the Nokomoto Podcast. And let's run the outro. Oh, wait. Stay safe, stay tuned, and keep fighting the dragon. And I don't want to die. I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Gold.